This episode is brought to you by DorksideToys.com. For the latest Star Wars action figures, Marvel, G.I. Joe, and more, visit DorksideToys.com. A small rebel force has penetrated the shield and landed on Endor. This is where the fun begins. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Star Wars number one. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. Hold on. Got to get my spectacles on. You know, you've been doing this show for a long time when all of a sudden you realize that you're wearing reading glasses Uh. to do the podcast that you once used to do without reading glasses. Those are life's little moments. Anyway, great to be back with you once again here at Rebel Force Radio this week. For November 15th, 2013. Glad you could be with us. We got lots to talk about this week, including the big revelation that hit last week. You know, they got a lot of nerve, Jim, releasing big news after Rebel Force Radio is already wrapped for the week. What are they thinking? How when they- are they ever going to start consulting with us? That's what I want to know. They need to time it right. Time it right. You can't release or announce the release date of Episode 7 after we've already closed up shop for the week. It's crazy. Look at it this way. It's just a date. It's just a date. And you know what? I don't know if that's really going to be the actual date, to tell you the truth. (laughs) I think the jury's still out on that. But we'll talk all about it. Plus, um, we have uh, some uh, information about auditions. There were auditions that were held in several locations across the globe for Episode 7. We've got that. We also have some news about some trouble in Tatooine, at least in Tunisia. Will the famed location still be here for generations to come? Jimmy Mack, will our kids be able to podcast from the Sahara Desert in the location where Episode 4 was shot. Who knows? I don't know. Will we be able to podcast from there? That's. Uh, <laughs> I think we're safe, aren't we? I don't think so. Really? I don't think so. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll talk about that as well. But first, we have a little follow-up for next week from last week about a question that I raised that was brought up to me by a friend. A friend of mine for years has said that he recalls there being a line in Return of the Jedi during the final duel, the confrontation between Luke and Vader and the Emperor, where the Emperor references Yoda and does so in kind of a snide way. I believe the line, according to my friend, was something to the effect of talk backwards still, does he? And right away, Jimmy Max like, no. No, never happened. Never heard of it. And I wasn't claiming that it actually had happened. I'm just saying that that is my friend's memory of Return of the Jedi. Uh, he claims it. he saw it in the theater that way, just like some claim that they saw the famous big scene uh, and uh, uh, in, 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 a, in, a, in A New Hope. So who's to say? But uh, one thing we thought is that this might call for 
an investigative report. Thank you, Jason. I am Jimmy Mack from the Rebel Force Radio Investigative Report team. And we have uncovered the actual source of where your friend believed he heard this dialogue. It wasn't actually featured in the film Return of the Jedi, but we don't have to look much farther than the actual novelization of the film released in 1983 by Delray Books, Star Wars Return of the Jedi by James Caan. And a lot of people wrote in about No this. relation, by the way, to Sonny Corleone, James Caan, or the dad from Elf. Different spelling. Or, or the villain from Star Trek. But, uh, <laughs> Con! Thank you. One of us had to do that. Yeah, of course. I'll leave it to the uh, Trekkie to do that. Yeah. Um, so we uh, got a lot of emails from you guys. You, you really flooded our uh, email inbox, and you let us know that in the novelization of Return of the Jedi, we only need to look at page 135 for when the Emperor has the first meeting with Luke Skywalker. Luke walks in. He removes the, uh, the, the handcuffs, the, the binders from around Luke's wrists, and starts carrying on a conversation with him. And it's a very one-sided conversation, but there is additional dialogue to be found in this novel that we don't get in the film. And that's where I think your friend has this memory of the dialogue of the Emperor actually mocking Yoda, still speak backwards, does he? Now, that actual line of dialogue is not found in the novel, but we do have an instance of the Emperor sort of inverting his sentences in that very Yoda-like fashion, and it is in a mocking kind of way. So, sure, I could sit here and read from the novelization. I actually have the novel in front of me. This is the original novel. I bought it Walden Books back in 1983 after leaving the... the uh, Golf Mill Movie Theater in Niles, Illinois. After seeing Return of the Jedi, I walked over to the Walden Books and I purchased this novel and it's still in my collection. I'm holding it right in front of me. Here's what the pages sound like. Now so that's you know it. it. That's it. You know that's yeah, it. Yeah, right. You know it's mm-hmm. legit. Mm-hmm. So page 135 is where this moment happens. I could read it out of this book, but I figured why should I do that? This is an audio presentation And we want you guys to hear an excerpt from the very rare Return of the Jedi audiobook. Now, this is something that I don't think is commercially available anymore. Back in the day, it was pretty much only available on cassette tape, as far as I remember. But loyal Rebel Force radio listener Gunner gave me a copy of this, and uh, I digitized it. And we're going to play back that actual sequence where Jason's friend remembers, you know, memory is kind of a funny thing, but uh, through those foggy memories, he seems to recall this, this dialogue of the Emperor mocking Yoda in front of Luke. Tell me, young Skywalker, the Emperor said when he saw Luke's first struggle had taken its course. Who has been involved in your training until now? Luke was silent. He would reveal nothing. Oh, I know it was Obi-Wan Kenobi at first, the wicked ruler continued, rubbing his fingers together as if trying to remember. Of course, we are familiar with the talent Obi-Wan Kenobi had, 
when it came to training Jedi. He nodded politely in Vader's direction, indicating Obi-Wan's previous star pupil. Luke tensed with fury at the Emperor's defamation of Ben. He tried to bring his anger under control, though, for it seemed to please the malevolent dictator greatly. The Emperor tapped his fingers on the arm of the throne, recalling, There was one called Yoda, an aged master Jedi. Ah, I see by your countenance I have hit a chord. Luke flashed with anger at himself now, to have revealed so much. He strove to calm himself, to show nothing, only to be. This Yoda, the Emperor mused, lives he still? Luke focused on the emptiness of space beyond the window, the deep void where nothing was. He filled his mind with this black nothing. Ah, cried Emperor Palpatine. He lives not. Very good, young Skywalker. You almost hid this from me. <laughs> Great scene, actually. Um, <laughs> that must be where my friend John remembers this uh, happening. You know, and we talked about this with Steve Sansweet about the big scenes and how people have these memories. And as, as Steve pointed out, uh, for those of us who experienced these films before the luxury of, of, of home video, our memory of these films tends to be a conglomeration of what we recall from being in the theater to the comic book adaptations, to the novelizations, to uh, well, what were we talking about back then? The uh, the little uh, reel, the little film reels that uh, were available at one point. So it really is a combination of things. And so if my friend did like you did, Jim, and saw the film for the first time and ran across the hall in the, uh, the, the movie theater right there in the mall and picked up a copy of the novel and lived with that novel for the rest of the summer, then that very well may be the path that lead him, led him to believe that that dialogue was different. Yeah, sure. And we can't accept this as canon, though, because this novel does contain a passage where the spirit of Obi-Wan explains to Luke that, yes, he recognized that if... Luke fell into the wrong hands, he could be a serious problem for the galaxy, so he was hidden on the planet Tatooine with Obi-Wan's brother, Owen Lars. So that's, uh, you know, something that's obviously been contradicted over time, especially with Star Wars Episode Two. But um, that's why these little pieces inside the novelization can't be accepted as canon, because you're still dealing with some rough draft or you know, earlier drafts sure. of the, the screenplays. Well, now that you mention that, I actually went back and flipped through my annotated screenplay to see if there were any notes about this scene and potential alternate dialogue or a a uh, bringing up of, of Yoda or even Ben, for that matter, because the Emperor doesn't bring up either one of them by name. Mm -hmm. um, and there is no mention of that. There is, however, mention of... The concept, which Jim, I think you and I spoke about previously, uh, at one point there was going to be a an appearance of the Force Ghosts of Yoda and Ben during the final duel, where they would actually 
come to the aid of Luke yeah. in his fight against Vader. Yeah, and there were variations of that. At some point, I believe it would be when the Emperor is shooting Luke with the Force lightning. When he tried to do it, there would be this force field around Luke. And when the lightning bolts would repel off that force field, an image of Yoda's face would show up mm. briefly and then fade away. And then an image of Obi-Wan's face would appear and then just briefly and then fade away. And psh, 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 every time he did that, he was seeing their visage denying him. And, uh, you know, obviously that didn't happen. But that was something that was in an earlier draft as well. Also in an earlier draft... Obi-Wan actually comes to the aid of Luke, flesh and bone, Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's He's right. back. I don't know how they would have pulled that off. <laughs> and I just wonder how much of these concepts will actually find some sort of life in the sequel trilogy. Yes. Um, George did talk about how uh, eventually that whole idea was abandoned because he felt that it diminished uh, Luke's final journey. Right. Into... Uh, well, the hero's journey, his final chapter in the hero's journey. Um, there was also a little bit more follow-up, I think, from last week, Jim, if you don't mind. Um, as we were discussing the the edit droid laser disc that had uh, all that uh, great footage that had, has never been seen or hasn't been seen for uh, 30 years, rather, um, of the scene with um, Yoda and Luke on Dagobah. Yoda's death in particular, and you had mentioned that in the Marvel adaptation that Yoda does not die. And uh, I just happened to grab my copy uh, right before we started the show, and you are remembering correctly. Correctly. So basically the last line that Yoda has in the comic book is that uh, interesting. Okay. So if you recall in the dialogue, that the new dialogue that we heard on the edit droid, when Luke says, I'm sorry, Yoda responds, I know, but sorry will not help. Of the emperor, beware. Do not underestimate his powers or suffer your father's fate. You will remember when gone I am, last of the Jedi will you be. And the uh, narration line is, Luke leaves Yoda to much needed rest. <laughs> But as he rejoins a nervously waiting R2-D2, his teacher's words continue to haunt him. I guess uh, in Luke's mind, much-needed rest means permanent dirt nap. <laughs> so I, I wonder if, um, and again, I, I could go back and probably check it out in the annotated screenplay, or I'm sure it's mentioned in um, the making of Return of the Jedi book, I haven't gotten that far, uh, that perhaps they left that door open. At one point, that they weren't going to kill off Yoda, mm-hmm. you know, was that was that in a an effort on George's part to preserve him for episodes seven, eight, nine? Who knows? But at any rate, your memory is correct, and in the Marvel adaptation, lives he still. <laughs> so, well, anyway, thanks to everybody who wrote in with that uh, follow up, and uh, of course, thanks to our investigative report team uh appreciate that so i think that'll I, i'm excited to uh email my buddy and let him know that he kind of remembered correctly kind of not thanksgiving is a very important holiday ours was the first country in the world to make a national holiday to give thanks
So coming up next week here, um, as we approach the holiday season, it's a Thanksgiving tradition, and this year will be no different, where we give thanks to you, all of our loyal Rebel Force Radio listeners, and we got an entire show next week dedicated to your feedback. So make sure that you send us a voicemail, 708-320-1RFR, that's 708-320-1737, and you very well might just hear yourself on Rebel Force Radio next week. So we'd Always encourage emails and voicemails, but this week in particular, we really like you to leave those voicemails so we can get those played uh, next week as we give thanks to you, our dear listeners. I have good news for you, my lord. That's good news. Come closer, I have good news. All right, let's get right down to it. Star Wars Episode 7, December 18th, 2015. We have an official release date, according to StarWars.com, and a very brief press release uh, that went out uh, last week on November 7th. It said, with pre-production in full swing, a confirmed release date of December 18th, 2015, has been set for Lucasfilm's highly anticipated Star Wars Episode 7. Alan Horn says, we're very excited to share the official 2015 release date for Star Wars Episode 7, where we'll not only anchor the popular holiday film-going season, but also ensure our extraordinary filmmaking team has the time needed to deliver a sensational picture. So right there, Jim, he's saying, yeah, we need more time. So there's no debate. There's no discussion as to whether or not the production was in trouble. Indeed it was, or they wouldn't be moving the release date. Yeah, that's right, Jason. I, you know, we guessed way back when in October, late October, when the announcement was made that Lucasfilm had been acquired by Disney, and uh, we we felt they were rushing it a little bit by saying that the new Star Wars film would be ready in less than three years. We knew it was a long shot, and now that they've really sunk their teeth into it, they're realizing yes, that is a, that, that that's going to be impossible to meet that deadline, especially considering the fact that there's been some turnover in the writing department where they're really not bringing in new people necessarily to work on the script. It's that a reshuffling. But it's a little bit of a shuffle. That's right. And a little bit of a realignment um, and uh, uh, something of not necessarily 100% a fresh start, but a new start, yeah. a new hope. If you will. Uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Shooting is scheduled to begin, by the way, spring 2014 at Pinewood Studios. Uh, We had heard at one point that um, there were rumors that shooting would begin in uh, January. I think that was the original target uh, start. And, uh, of course, that would just be a couple of months from now. Not going to happen. So it's obviously pushing the film back um, several months as well. So. December 18th, 2015. I, I tell you, I'm surprised they didn't go all out and do a Christmas Day release. And that still could happen. Just, to, just because in November of 2013, they announced December 18, 2015, they're going to be like, eh, no one's going to remember that. No one's going to remember that. We'll, we'll just bump it up a little bit more. So they only have two weeks uh, to actually get it in the 2015 calendar year. So they're not giving themselves a whole lot of leeway. But, yeah, Jim, it's not uncommon for a big tentpole film during the holiday season to actually get a Christmas Day release. It's a big, that's a big day for theaters. Yeah, right. Um, And this is, you know, a year when Christmas does fall on a Friday, which is traditionally opening day for just about any film. And you will notice that the uh, release date of 12-18-2013 is, again, a Friday. 
this is the first time we're seeing a Star Wars film not only released outside of May, but the first time we're seeing, in a long time at least, a Star Wars film being released on a Friday. Usually they put them out on Wednesday, so the hardcore fans like you, me, and everyone listening to the show can go to those midnight releases and then go a couple times over the course of the next few days before the general population is like, oh, it's the weekend. Let's go see a movie. They want to get us out of the way. They want to get us out of the way, and they'll happily take our money as they push <laughs> us forward. But uh, that's and it also extends the weekend, so they can, you know, there's there's other uh, box office records that are available if you uh, release over a, a, an extended holiday weekend, like Memorial Day or Labor Day, something like that. I'm excited for a Christmas time Star Wars release. I've always associated Star Wars with Christmas even though the films had always been released in May. Because of things like USA Network running those marathons. Oh, yeah. Back when we only had three films. Right. And getting those Christmas presents, being there Christmas morning, 1978, 79, whatever year it was when I acquired that Millennium Falcon I'd been pining for, and everything else that came with it. Christmas and Star Wars march together hand in hand. There's been a lot of people lamenting online, a lot of traditionalists, a lot of people who are nostalgic about lining up in the the weeks of May leading up to a release around Memorial Day weekend. It's a lot more comfortable to wait in line in May than it is December. Right, 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 right. And uh, will that phenomenon continue of people waiting in line for protracted periods of time will that tradition remain well now that there's a release date i wouldn't be surprised if there's a line already somewhere you know there is (laughs) somewhere someone is in line right now drop us a line show at rebelforceradio.com if you're in line uh, already for episode seven well you know obviously you know the the there's a much more sophisticated ticketing system that most of uh, the movie theaters uh, use these days uh, pre-orders available online as well as you know at the ticket window. It was really episode one that kind of ushered a lot of that in uh, again, Jim, to try to squelch and kind of keep the, the whole um, crazy scene of people in tents waiting in line, trying to keep that down to a minimum. Um, but uh, nonetheless, it's still was very much part of the experience for all three prequels. Uh, and in some of it, you know, some of the folks that were waiting in line uh, did it for charity and uh, found some sort of philanthropic uh, connection. But for the most part, really the days of waiting in line are kind of gone by the wayside because of uh, pre-ordering. Well, also uh, something else to consider, too. If you're releasing new Star Wars films every year... That's a lot different than every three years. Now, the episode one line was a special sort of phenomenon because there had been a 16-year gap, and the anticipation had been so huge for episode one. Episode seven, eight, nine, the standalone films, everything else that comes with it, this is all gravy for a Star Wars fan. And it's going to be happening every year. So once you get out of line, you're going to pretty much have to go right back and stand in line for the next one. 
So it's going to kind of lose that romanticism that was applied to it. I would. I, I think you know it's been a long time since we've seen any film series uh, get a an annual release schedule. The last one that comes to mind was Lord of the Rings. Uh, they did every every year in December. Um, and, and that continues with The Hobbit. Right, and they are continuing that with The Hobbit. But Harry Potter, they got down to an 18-month schedule um, because those films were not being shot like Lord of the Rings uh, all in one chunk. So they were able to uh, get it down to a, a, a tight 18 months, and they would flip between a holiday release and a summer release which, by staggering it that way. The Bond films... Uh, for for several years would come out every year um, back in the early days. Uh, but it's pretty rare to have a film series where they drop a, a, a new film each year. But I've got a crazy question here. All of this attention about backing up the release date to 2015 or December of 2015 to make sure that there's time needed to deliver a sensational picture, according to Alan Horn, and yet no word about the standalone films. Right. Now we're those start- would have to be in pre-production too. Exactly. The countdown clock has begun on that. And we know that all assets and resources and manpower and energy is being focused on episode 7. But what of these standalone films? I still expect the standards to be applied to them that's applied to all Star Wars film releases. So I don't want to see some knockoff movie of the week after school special being released (laughs) as a Star Wars standalone film. I expect the same standards of storytelling, special effects, acting, production, everything across the board to be applied to those standalone films. And the clock is ticking on that one now because we're expecting the first one in 2016. We haven't heard a word, whimper, or whisper about the status of that production. Right. Um, by the way, I should mention that uh, it was prior to this announcement last week, uh, I believe it was Bob Iger, right, Jim, that was on a, uh, a stockholders call, an investors call, with um, various, you know, with the, obviously the Disney uh, stock shareholders saying that they were holding firm to a summer release for episode seven. So it wasn't that long ago he was still very, very adamant about a summer release. About the summer release. But I I think that's before they really got down and dirty on the creative end of things and realized that Michael Arndt's script needed to be, at the very least, revised. So once that realization came to them, they said, well... What's the latest in 2015 we can release this thing? Because we've said 2015, we got to hold fast to that because reputations are on the line here. So it got pushed back to December 18th. And keep in mind, the announcement of Michael Arndt's removal from the project and his script being reconditioned by the team of Abrams and Kasdan that came precisely a week prior to the announcement of the release date. That's not coincidence. No, no. Saying. I think that was the final uh, shoot a drop. I, 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 we were hearing that Kathleen Kennedy and various others were lobbying for more time from Disney. They knew that they couldn't make the release date. 
Um, there were rumors about Abrams, but you know, Jim, we were talking just a few weeks ago about Abrams potentially leaving the project himself. And, you know, that could have been some posturing behind the scenes saying, no, I need more time. Yeah. Uh, it also could have been a, either I get to rewrite that script or I'm out of here. Or I'm out. That, that could be, too. Now, we've got a story coming up uh, where J.J. is actually publicly explaining the removal of Arndt. And we'll see if it, uh, if it passes our smell test. But uh, in the meantime, here's a clip of Bob Iger talking about the release of Episode 7. Well, this is obviously one of the most important films that we're working on right now. And one of the things that was you know, very important to us is that we give the creative team, J.J. Abrams and, and uh, his writing team, the time to uh, design, write, and produce the film so that we can optimize quality or so that we can you know, create a great film, so they can create a great film. Very, very important. And uh, at one point we... Uh, considered the summer of 2015, but it felt like, particularly with some changes that we made in the writing team, that that was going to create a bit of a rush, and we didn't think that was optimal for obvious reasons. So Christmas 2015 became the date. Happens to be the date that Avatar, which is the number one movie of all time, was released. So we like that. It certainly, hopefully, brings some good luck, even though that wasn't our film. Uh, and Christmas is a is a good time, we think, for a film like Star Wars, which will have obvious interest from you know young and, and, and people and old people alike, from everyone. Avatar is the number one film of all time. Yes, sir, it is. Is it really? Yeah. yeah. Is it really? Not for long. Yeah, you'd have to think that um, Episode Seven could easily approach the billion mark domestically, especially when you consider that. It's coming out at Christmas time, not in the middle of the summer. There was a lot of fanboy angst about the amount of kick-ass films coming out in summer of 2015. You know, just topping the, uh, the, the mountain is Avengers 2 and the Superman, Batman, Man of Steel follow-up. You know, a lot of people were really worried about where Star Wars was going to fit into that mixture. And it, it, it remains my opinion that... All these other films need to figure out where they fit into Star Wars mixture. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So that's I mean, what it comes yeah. down to when it's box office muscle. But hey, you know, nothing. You can't take anything for granted anymore. You know, tastes have changed. The the pop culture climate and the way people consume media and entertainment has changed so much drastically since the last Star Wars film in two thousand five. There's been so many advances in the way people acquire entertainment that it's hard to say that Star Wars Episode Seven is a total lock for box office domination. However, I believe it is. Particularly if it be if it's a reunion film too. I mean that that's gonna bring that's gonna yeah. bring in a whole new level of of uh moviegoer and just curiosity. So it does beg the question though, what is Star Wars Episode Seven going up against Christmas twenty fifteen? And our buddy Rob over at beardedtrio.com, he looked into this and realized that there are two big films it's going to be going up against on that weekend. These films have already been announced for release December 18th, 2015. The first one is Duncan Jones's World of Warcraft movie. Duncan Jones, uh, the guy who did Moon, um, good friends of uh, our very own Paul Bateman, um, 
World of Warcraft built-in core audience that are they're going to go out and support this film. Yeah, it's a genre film for sure. Absolutely. And the other one is Ron Howard's Inferno, starring Tom Hanks. So Ron Howard and Tom Hanks reunite and make another film, and uh, that is about. Uh, oh, is this a? This is a part of the whole. Uh, oh, what's the, the the those books where he's the, got the biblical. Uh, uh, what's it? The, the Da Vinci Code. Isn't this part of that whole series? Is Boy, is, I, is Hanks playing the same character? I couldn't tell you. Because um, what we have here says Harvard symbologist Robert Langston or Langdon tries to stop a global genocide scheme by following clues in Dante Alighieri's The Divine Comedy, which take him to Florence and Venice, Italy. He battles a chilling adversary and grapples with an ingenious riddle that puts him into a landscape of classic art, secret passageways, futuristic science. That sounds to me like Da Vinci Code. Okay. Well, I don't know anything about that. I don't uh, know either. But Yeah, yeah. But if you say it sounds like Da Vinci Code, I take your word for it. If it's not, boy, it sounds very derivative. You got Ron Howard and Tom Hanks back together doing a movie that sounds just like Da Vinci Code. I don't know works for him hey you know star wars episode seven's coming out so yeah anything could happen but the holidays typically are not i mean they're known for blockbuster films but but more long lines of the the drama blockbusters or the big biopics and that sort of thing i don't tend to think of christmas as uh the big popcorn movies yeah that is more reserved for your summertime audience But um, like you said, the Harry Potter films would get released occasionally around the holidays. Yes. And, uh, Earlier, could... typically, you know, like uh, Halloween, uh, Thanksgiving time. The Bond films since uh, GoldenEye, I know for sure, they've been out in the uh, – yeah, because uh, License to Kill was the last one that was released in the summer. That was up against Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and Batman and Ghostbusters 2 and a whole host of others, and it kind of got uh, swallowed up in the mix. But then when GoldenEye was released, it came out in the fall, around Thanksgiving time, and that has been a pretty much a lock for all of the Bond films since. And Lord of the Rings, of course. And Lord of the Rings. Before, that's right. A- Lord of the Rings seems to break a lot of the rules. Again, <laughs> the, although... The third one did win multiple Oscars, so it sort of is uh, it's a genre film, clearly, but it also sort of became, I don't know, it had a certain uh, added credibility, given its, uh, its accolades. Do you think we'll ever see a Star Wars film get those similar accolades? Well, I think there is such a profound prejudice amongst the Hollywood establishment and the Hollywood elite uh, against Star Wars. Um, is it because of Lucas's renegade attitude? I think it stems from that. I mean, yeah. I think that's where it, its genesis is. But I think it's just been sort of passed down. Uh, I don't know. You know, with the change of ownership, is it possible? Anything's possible. Um, but, I, I, you know, I've thought about that. And I just feel as though if it took itself seriously enough to be the kind of movie that might, be up for what you know i mean not the special effects oscars obviously but you know the 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 dramatic awards um whether it be the best director or best uh, best actor actress what have you if 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 a star wars movie took itself seriously enough to put it in contention for an award like that uh i don't think it would have the same 
vibe. I just don't. I don't feel it. I don't think it feel like Star Wars. To tell you the truth, I don't know that that's. I yeah. It just I can't point to a performance that I could say. You know, is up there with. You know, Brando in The Godfather or something like. You know what I mean? I guess it comes down to you know perspectives and opinion. Um, I think there's definitely potential for a Star Wars film to be a huge award winner if it's crafted correctly. And I don't think it has to go dark to win those awards. I think they could stick with the formula. Let's face it. 1977. Best picture Oscar goes to Woody Allen's Annie Hall. Okay? In hindsight, realizing that's the same year Star Wars was released, how can anyone justify that terrible, terrible misfire by the Academy? Because because that's what they do. I mean, that's what they do. I don't even I don't even think about the Academy Awards. I can't remember the last time I've watched the Academy Awards or even had it enter my mind that I'm watching a film that won an Academy Award, to tell you the truth. I mean, my God, my last frame of reference is Brando and the Godfather, right? I mean, um, I just think that um, up until Lord of the Rings, and we haven't seen anything quite like it since, uh, there's certainly a kind of an establishment snobbery about genre films. Mm-hmm. Um, not, even I, if they're entirely groundbreaking, even if they're films that change the landscape of all filmmaking, not just science fiction, action, adventure films, but everything across the board. Yeah, in hindsight, in hindsight, yes. I'm not saying that Annie Hall was... Uh, was the better pick, you know, where my heart lies. But in terms of the Academy and the way they approach things, I think it's a, I think that's a no brainer. I don't think that, that the, just, that the movie ever stood a chance. You, you just look at the source. And- I look at the, yeah, exactly. I look at the source and I think, you know, it's not going to matter. It wouldn't, it wouldn't make me appreciate it any more or any less if it won an award. I just feel that in some ways, if they, if they made the film with the intent to make it in a position to where it could be nominated for some sort of serious dramatic awards that it just, it wouldn't have the same style. Now the BAFTAs are a little bit different. Um, Skyfall, for example, the latest bond film was nominated for uh, many BAFTA awards and they, that's a film that stuck very much to its tried and true formula yet it still kind of rose above. And, um, you know, I, I almost think that there was perhaps with that, the, the nostalgia tug that that film offered um, might have contributed to the, the nominations that it received in a way of saying, you know what, we never did give a Bond film a, a BAFTA. And he's the favorite son of, of, uh, of British film. Uh, why, why not? Why not give it a you know give it give it a nod? That same kind of idea could come to play with Star Wars. If it's a reunion film, if it's if it reunites the trio and it's as good as the original, they might give it a courtesy nomination. 
I don't see it winning myself, but you never know. You never it know. Be, it could be a nostalgic gesture. Exactly. And, you know, w- with the Lord of the Rings, with them winning Best Picture for the final film, Return of the King, It to me, Return of the King isn't the best of the series. It really isn't. I thought Two Towers was superior. However, I believe that the reason the Return of the King finally won was to justify the ignorance of the Academy in the previous two years to ignore the Lord of the Rings films for the best picture nod. Now, maybe we might see that sort of justification come into play with episode seven, should it be as finely crafted as we as Star Wars fans want it to be. So you're saying, Jim, maybe they're going to try to rewrite or correct history by giving episode seven consideration that it might not normally receive. Yes, absolutely. Just for the groundbreaking strides that the Star Wars film franchise has made in the creation of everything that comes out of Hollywood from, obviously, a technological standpoint, yes. But also, when it's at that level, we're talking merchandising. None of that existed prior to Star Wars. If it did, it was on a very small level and not a very successful level. Star Wars taught Hollywood how to merchandise itself. Star Wars taught Hollywood how to build a blockbuster. Yeah, but, you know, depending on who you ask, that's not a good thing. There are many that, 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 that the elite that feel that uh, the blockbuster has hurt film as an art form, uh, that Lucas and Spielberg and, you know, the, the directors of their type have uh, made it a... Uh, a place where there's no creativity anymore and it's all the same and it's these popcorn films. I mean, that, that sentiment is still out there. It's changing, I think. But I think that the, the, the people still uh, in those uh, higher rungs of the, of the ladder there in Hollywood, I think they, there's still that feeling that, uh, that there's a – I mean, let's face it. When's the last time you saw a film that was an Oscar winner? The one best picture. Best picture, boy, without a list in front of me. I, I know it's hard to say, but you, you know, if it was, if it was mainstream films that you have a tendency to go see, that I have a tendency to go see, you might be able to rattle it off. But they are typically, I think, what was the last one? That silent picture, the artist or whatever it was. Was that the name of it? I guess. Like I said, yeah, I don't the know. silent film. Okay, you didn't see that. I no, didn't see that. Not. I didn't see that. There's no lightsabers in that. <laughs> Indeed. I'm not saying it's a bad film. I'm just saying it's not my it's not the kind of thing that I'm gonna, you know, in my busy life I'm gonna make time for. I mean, if there was a Sarlacc pit sequence in it, yeah, then I'd go. I think there was though. I think there was. I think Penelope Ann Miller jumped into the Sarlacc at the end. But it was silent, so you didn't hear the belch. <laughs> you but, didn't get the the burp uh, right. joke? No, but you, yeah, you saw it kind of round, you know, the, the anyway. My, I guess my point is I think there's a disconnect between the average moviegoer, yeah. the average popcorn munching moviegoer on the weekends that's going to go see Star Wars and Thor and Avengers and Harry Potter and you know movies like that. And then there's the you know then there's the more arts and croissant crowd. And I'm okay being on that side. I'm I'm perfectly okay being a commercial guy that likes mainstream films. Well, to me, the Academy Awards has always built around what the box office biggies are all about. 
you know, go back through the history of time, you know. You can go back to Gone with the Wind, Wizard of Oz, or, you know, moving forward, Ben-Hur, Godfather. Yeah, but you, you're, you're skipping a good 10, 15, 20 years in between those examples. All right, well, let me give you an example. I don't think – I think you're wrong. I think you will find more Academy Award-winning films for Best Picture that were – fair to Midland at the box office than you'll find blockbusters. There have been some. Titanic. Godfather. As you say. Gone with the Wind. Um, honestly, I don't even know. if Wizard, Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind came out the same year, I believe. So I don't think... You know, yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. It's 39. 39. Yeah. I think they both came out the same year. There was another movie that came out, another famous movie that came out that same year, uh, legendary film, but um, Avatar, <laughs> very first Avatar, right? Is it black and white? Uh, Abbott and Costello meet Avatar, <laughs> meet the blue Smurf people or whatever they were. I, you know, I still haven't seen that movie. I I have to see it. It was worthwhile entertainment. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to see it because I'm sure I'll sit there and I'll enjoy it. But um, but I understand what you're thinking when you hear Bob Iger refer to Avatar as the biggest box office motion picture of all time. And you're like, it was? You know why? Because people went to it. It was an event. It was an experience. It was inflated ticket prices. It was on 4,000 film screens across the United States. But it didn't resonate in the way that classic film. It didn't stick. It didn't stick. It didn't stick like Titanic stuck. Right. James Cameron, again, huge box office success. Terminator 2. I'm not playing favorites here. Titanic stuck with people. It resonated with people. People remember the characters. They remember the names. They remember the music. They remember the dialogue. Mm-hmm. People don't go around quoting Avatar. I don't, think I've, you, I don't think I've ever heard one quote from Avatar. That's how you know you have a pop culture phenomenon, is when people are humming the music, they're quoting the lines, they're referencing the characters by name, you get none of that. I don't that. even know the name of the, the race. People don't have to have seen Star Wars to know that what a Wookiee is, right? Or an Ewok. In fact, I'm sure there are lots of people out there. I know some that have never seen a Star Wars film. Those, but they know Luke, I am your father. They course, know those, Yoda speaking backwards and all of that. Those names and concepts and characters, they're... they're Threads woven into the fabric of pop culture society. Not so with Avatar. Avatar brought in the bucks. Avatar was a fun ride. But Avatar does not resonate. I think what Avatar did, I think it was a vehicle that sort of summed up the whole 3D fad. I think that it was the it was the one film that sort of epitomized that time of and I still I still think 3D is more of a fad than it is something that's going to completely stick. Um but I but that film just sort of came at a time when that technology was at a fever pitch 
And as you say, Jim, it was it was an event. And you're also very right to point out that we're talking about probably close to fifteen, eighteen at dollar average ticket price. Yeah, to see it on the, the big IMAX right. exactly. screen, three exactly. D for the three D presentation. Yeah, paying easily fifteen bucks as an adult, probably twenty. If you live in a place like I do, like Chicago, twenty bucks, no problem. Mm-hmm. Try taking your family to see that movie. So when Dylan says to me, "Have fun watching the blue people," I'm staying home. I'm like, "Good for you, kid." <laughs> I can only afford one of you. <laughs> But, I mean, that's the state of films these days. It is. It is. George, so, George Lucas himself has gone on record as saying that that going to the movie theaters is going to be like going to see a concert where you're paying absurd prices to see it on a screen. You know, prices mm-hmm. of $100 a ticket or more. And that's, that is in the horizon. That's what George thinks is happening. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's that extreme. I really don't, because I think you're going to flush out your entire audience, and nobody's going to be buying tickets if something like that happens. I think we're going to see that window uh, between the theatrical release and the home video release. I think we're going to see it you know, continue to tighten. Uh, I mean, already, you can go on Amazon and pre-order the new Thor movie. And they've got the cover art for the, for the Blu-ray and the DVD already. I mean, so um, I think it was... It was uh, Going back to Bond, the first time I recall ever being able to pre-order a DVD or a Blu-ray within the first week or two of a film's release was was Skyfall. And so I think over time that that, you know, now you can pre-order them. I think that you'll probably be looking even at blockbusters uh, six to eight weeks and you'll have the movie. I mean, some God, some movies are um, that tight now, lesser known films. But um, at any rate, so who knows? Who knows what the future will will hold? But uh, could Star Wars be Oscar material? I say not in the current current climate without it changing the formula and the feel of what makes a Star Wars movie Star Wars. Jimmy Mack, not so convinced, thinks that it is uh, more possible, possible for Star Wars to maintain its vibe. And it's formula and still maybe win some gold. Maybe a big nostalgic push. Who knows? I'd like to see it. I think it would be justification, if more than anything. Making up for that Annie Hall thing. <laughs> because, I'm, well, I mean, let's face it. Star Wars means a lot to the film industry. Star Wars means a lot to movie fans. And it should be notarized in some way, shape, or form by the Academy Awards. And I'm not talking about Lifetime Achievement Awards or anything like that. I'm talking about Best Picture Oscar. So let's see what J.J. and the crew can whip up. Let's see what they can do. Speaking of J.J., J.J. is out making the rounds for his new TV series. He's executive producer on Almost Human, series that's going to be coming on uh, in the next couple of weeks, starring Carl Urban. So for you Star Trek fans, he plays Dr. McCoy in the new Star Trek movies, that, uh, of course, directed by by J.J. But while he was out there, J.J. was having to answer some questions about Michael Arndt being off Star Wars. And according to J.J., he says it became clear that given the time frame and given the process and the way the thing was going, that working with Larry, that's Lawrence Kasdan, that's Lawrence to you and me, 
Larry, in this way, was going to get us where we need to be and when we needed to be. Um, he went on to say, working with Larry Kasdan, especially on a Star Wars movie, is kind of unbeatable. Um, okay, well, what about a Michael Arndt? He says, working with Michael was a wonderful experience, and uh, I couldn't be a bigger fan of his or adore him more. He's a wonderful guy. It was incredibly helpful. Uh, he went on to also to say that he's not ruling out working with Michael again in the future. He's one of the best writers around, and of course there's a lot more Star Wars to be made, given Disney's commitment to make at least three numerical films, in addition to the standalone that's been talked about. Now, Jim, you, you went through and you kind of picked out what you thought were the key points of this interview and i would like to disagree i believe that there is another key point in this interview that's it's pointed out at the very end guess what just got pushed back two weeks jj abrams tv series almost human so this is sort of like his 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 uh his mo this i'm telling you this guy can't stick to a schedule not even for tv this is his calling card. It is. You know. First Star Trek in 2009. Now, all, then Star Wars and now Almost Human. Supposed to, what was it? It was supposed to premiere apparently early November, and now it's been pushed back to November 17th and 18th. So it's already premiered. Maybe if he was on time, the name of his production company would be called Good Robot. <laughs> I think the I think the bad robot needs a watch. That's what I think. So anyway, we'll uh we'll continue to watch these developments and uh if you're interested in maybe seeing what more JJ Abrams has to offer, you can check out Almost Human. So the concept is Carl Urban is a LAPD uh, cop in the year 2048 and gets teamed up with an android. Mm. When did, wait, 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 wait. I saw this before. It's called Alien Nation, right? With Mandy Patinkin and James Caan. Oh, for crying out loud, it was called Blade Runner. Come on. Or that. Hollywood, come up with some fresh ideas for Christ's sake. <laughs> oh, my goodness. J.J. Uh, Abrams still uh, making the rounds and uh, was on with Neil Gaiman over at the BBC. And uh, the question was, what about British actors in Star Wars? Of course, there's a long history of British actors in the Star Wars films, and this is what J.J. had to say to Neil. J.J., you mentioned big popular films that everybody loves. Uh, we hear rumors that there may be British casting of Star Wars. Is this true? Um, well, it wouldn't be Star Wars if there wasn't some fantastic actors who happen to be British, but uh, I think we're, we're doing our job and looking everywhere for the best possible actors for the, the roles. I mean, nothing is... is more important, there are things as important, but nothing is more important than casting a movie great. And I've been incredibly lucky to be involved in projects that we've had wonderful casts and wonderful casting directors to make it happen. So there you go. Maybe some Brits in gotta the new stores from, of course, they've got to be the Imperial officers. Got to have the Brits. Yeah, got to have those guys. Did you see the picture that JJ posted today from the quote workshop? It was a picture of himself, Kathleen Kennedy, 
two guys who are obviously workshop employees, and one of them looks really familiar to me, and I, I think he may have worked. He may have been a prop master on the prequel trilogy, but I haven't had time to research him or figure out who he is. And they're standing there in this workshop with R2. R2-D2. Oh, so now, is this, the, this would be the first official publicity photo for Star Wars 7. I don't think we've seen anything before. No, I mean, you know, it's borderline at best. There, we, we know for a fact that there are several working R2 models out there. Hello, R2-D2 Builders Club. I mean, you know, I, you can't go to Lucasfilm without bumping into R2. It's, it's some, you know, you turn the corner and there's R2. But it, it very well could be a working model for Episode Seven, And that would be a relief because... A lot of the R2 that we saw, especially in Episode 2 and 3, a lot of that R2 work was CG. You know, I, I, I want to get back to the, the, the model of R2. And, you know, Kenny Baker, they put him in there. He added a lot of life to R2, a lot more life than what you see in the prequels with them leaning on CG technology and not really putting Kenny in there very often. There were a lot of opportunities to put Kenny in there and just shake it up a bit. That was what was so great about R2 in the original trilogy is the fact that he conveyed such a nervous sense of emotion by that just simple shaking that Kenny would do inside that tin can. Kenny would be in there banging around and stuff, and it'd be like, R2 is so freaking cute. <laughs> it's a guy in there just, like, bruising himself up, slamming up against the side of the in- this tin can. Yeah. But, I mean, it worked. It worked. It gave R2 that personality. Yeah. And that, that little bit is sorely missing from the prequels. Next time you watch the prequel trilogy, watch those shots of R2 where he could be doing that little nervous twitch or whatever. And you'll know that Kenny Baker is not inside R2 at those moments. And it comes off as a little cold. Hmm. A little cold. Yeah. Well, I just made a medal, after all. Cold steel. Cold steel. All right. So, uh, Abrams, we heard him talking a little bit about the the casting. Uh, speaking of casting, there have been auditions in several places across the uh, the globe, including Bristol and in Chicago. But I have a question about this. So at first, what was going around, the casting sheet did not mention Star Wars. There was no mention of Star Wars that says they were looking for um, a, a lead roles for a Walt Disney Pictures film. They were looking for a girl called Rachel and a boy called Thomas. Yeah, we talked about this last week. And by the way, I want to mention that I do not think that these are the actual names of these Star Wars characters, Rachel and Thomas. No, I was doing air quotes when I said Rachel and Thomas. You didn't see that? Oh, yeah. No, now I see. Yeah, Very air quote. Rachel, see? Rachel yeah. uh-huh. and Thomas. With the fingers. Right, yeah. Uh, no, I don't think so. They're very un-Star Warsy names. Right, right. Rachel, yeah. maybe. But not Thomas. No, Thomas. Thomas is too biblical. Too Thomas biblical. Is, it's it, it's too English muffin. Yeah. So, so they 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 put out this casting sheet. Is this big? What you call a cattle call? Literally a cattle call. Um, Two thousand turned up in Bristol. 
Uh, and if I'm remembering the story right, Jim, what happened was a, a spokesperson for uh, Lucasfilm or for Disney tweeted that it was for actually for Star Wars. Is that how it happened? Is that how it got? No, I, I think that um, some news agencies went sniffing around and, and Disney was very quick to confirm that, yeah, this is. Oh, is that what it was? Okay. Actually, I, thought, I, think I think somebody went Jedi to Twitter. News, I think our friends at Jedi News were the first to break that you know, confirmation that this is indeed casting for Star Wars Episode Seven. Right. Uh, bad news for us, Jim. Uh, the article says that candidates must be good-looking and athletic. We'll keep going. <laughs> no, seriously, it was the age thing. Yeah. Because, right. like, I'm, you know, right away I'm getting calls from Chris Mock. So you're going to the auditions? I'm like, why am I going to the auditions? <laughs> They're looking for 20-year-olds. Right. Well, it, over 16 and over 18. I mean, we fit that bill. Well, the over 18. Right. I'm like, how far over do you want to go? Are you willing to go, like, 25, 26 years beyond <laughs> I mean, are you guys that flexible? <laughs> oh, show up with my lightsaber. But, but seriously, these auditions, well, it actually is, is it's not even quite an audition. They set it up at the Park West Theater. No, now you're talking about the Chicago audition. Talking about the Chicago. All right, so in, in Bristol, uh, yeah. they had 2,000 people show up. Amazing. Amazing. In- incredible. Um, in fact, we actually have a clip uh, of from the Bristol auditions. This was some news coverage. This is... Uh, a little montage of the fans out there for those uh, auditions in uh, in the UK. It's worth the wait. It's worth the wait. There's an opportunity. You know, if you want to get out there and be seen, you've got to do what it takes. We're really excited. Um, we've been here for 12 hours now, and we've only got an hour and a half to go, so we're almost there. It's just really exciting. Is that James Burns? At, um, around 5.30 or something. So. Which is very exciting, and I feel very <laughs> guilty now because... I told him about the audition, and I'm a bigger Star Wars fan. <laughs> and he didn't get the callback. And I didn't get a callback. <laughs> but I'll be a very supportive older brother if he gets it. Do you think Robert England will actually make it to this Star Wars audition? Robert England in England to audition <laughs> for Star Wars Episode Seven. He won't, you he know, won't I, pass I it off to Mark Hamill again? Now, number one, that can't be James Burns because he's too busy being on the BBC. Every time anybody farts a story about Star Wars, James Burns is on the BBC. <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, but you heard that last guy. He was saying that he's getting the call back. Yeah. But his brother, who told him about the auditions, didn't get the call back. Actually, out of the 2,000 people that showed up in Bristol, they only saw 1,000 people. And out of the 1,000 people that they saw, only 75 got callbacks. And every, uh, it's and then, like American Idol. A thousand others just got sent home. They said, we don't have time to see you. It's and like American Idol. Off. I mean, the auditions were, or the, it, it was more like a meet and greet. I can't believe Disney hasn't made this a reality show yet. Star Wars Idol. <laughs> well, you don't know. You never know. You never know. Maybe that's happening. Maybe The that- Hero's Journey. So the auditions have moved to Chicago, my home turf. Of course right. they have. Because yeah, as we know, Star Wars epicenter in the United States is now in Chicago. It was more of a meet and greet. You know what we should do right out of the gate here? Let's play this audio we got. This is Mary Ellen Aviano, and she's part of the casting team for Lucasfilm. She sat in with Dean Richards on Chicago's WGN Morning News to explain exactly the type of people they're looking for. 
There's two roles that we're specifically looking for here in the Chicago area. There's um, a young girl between the ages of 17 and 19, and there's a young man between the ages of 19 and 23. Um, anybody who comes to the, this is a, a meet and greet. There isn't any audition process. Um, the meet and greet is with my casting associate, Je Jessica Sherman, and I. Mm -hmm. And what we're going to do is just, it, just like it sounds, meet and greet everyone who comes through. They'd like to bring their headshot and resume. They're welcome to. They're not required. But we want to get a feel for the talent in the Chicago area and be able to report back to, you know, the, the principal casting directors, Alyssa Weisberg and April right. Webster. Sure. And working, they're working with JJ in L.A. Yeah. And they will, um, they will fine-tune and start, you know, the casting process. The two roles is what we are on across country. It's almost like an old-time talent search. Okay. Um, we are going across country. We only have a few hours here. Um, so we are encouraging everyone that, you know, if you fit these two roles that have okay. been described, to please come out. But right. otherwise, um, there may be f other casting calls that you can follow along and maybe come to that right. one if that one's more suited to now, you. Now, should you come prepared with uh, dialogue? Should you bring pictures, resumes, anything like that? You, you, you are strictly looking to kind of get a sense of who the person is to right exact To meet and greet. Because, as you know, Lucasfilms has a long tradition of, you know, discovering new talent. And so this is along that same line of anywhere in the country that you know a couple of the major actors in this in this movie could could come from the Chicago area and yep. you know and it's just it's um, it's great to be making a stop through here and and meeting as many people as we can so i wonder if this is uh, more about publicity than it is for actually trying to discover talent well there is some realistic expectations to be had from the casting directors for episode 7 Keep in mind that um, Haley Steinberg, who was in True Grit, the, the fabulous remake of True Grit a few years ago, she was discovered in an open casting call like this. And now she's going to be in Kyle Newman's Barely Lethal. So it's, um, it, you know what, it's a crapshoot. Um, it's like being struck by lightning. But a lot of people I know, the vibe I was getting from this morning out there at the Park West. Like I said, I wasn't there. Are you going to the audition? I'm like, no, I'm not going to the audition. <laughs> Maybe you thought you were going to go there and just, you know, interview people. Well, I could have. I could have. But, you know, I, I had other obligations, unfortunately. And um, on the other side of the coin, very fortunately, I had a friend who was out there, a guy named Eric Pfeiffer, who is a huge Star Wars fan. He's a, a regular volunteer for events at Steve Sansweet's Rancho Obi-Wan. He's done a lot of work in the museum as a volunteer. He hangs out here in the Chicago area, very active with costuming groups like the 501st and the Rebel Legion. You might have even seen him at various conventions like Wizard World Chicago or C2E2 where he does this dead-on Anakin from the Gendy Tartakovsky micro-series. You know, the Anakin that has has the like blue stripe tattoos on his chest and everything. And Eric is a badass personal fitness uh, instructor. So he's in great shape. He does an incredible Kit Fisto cosplay. And he went out there. He's rolling the dice. Eric went out there to the Park West this morning, froze his butt off, stood in line to get an audition or at least a meet and greet with the casting directors for Star Wars Episode Seven. So we have his phone number. Let's and, see if we uh, can get him on the line here, okay? Yeah, let's see if we can get him on the line. It's a busy day for Eric. So this all just went down today, huh? Yeah, this just happened this morning. This afternoon. Eric Pfeiffer. 
Please stand by, ready to give us a full report from the audition. Eric. Hey, Eric, it's Jimmy Mack and Jason Swank with Rebel Force Radio. Hey, guys, how are you? <laughs> good, good. So you were out there today at the Park West. Um, what was it like? How many people were lined up to get in there to just at least get some face time with the casting directors for Star Wars Episode Seven? Well, you know, when I first got there, it was about 12.30, and the thing didn't even start until 3.00. Um, and to be honest with you, I actually don't even know how many people were there by the time they stopped letting people get in line. Um, but I know I passed, I passed somebody holding a 250 sign when I was first getting in line and that was about two and a half hours before it even started. So by the end of the line, I I mean, there were thousands of people there. I, I don't even know how many would, uh, would have been the total number, but you know, I would guess probably two, three thousand people. Yeah, that sounds accurate. Con- considering we have a report from Bristol, England, where uh, a similar process went down earlier this week, and they said two thousand people were out there. So, you you think there were at least two or three thousand out there in Chicago? And would you say that there were a lot of fans out there, or was it more of a professional actor sort of vibe? You know, I was just thinking about that earlier, actually. Um, I would say more of the latter. I, I think it was more of a professional-type uh, atmosphere because a lot of the people that I spent time with while I was waiting in line had resumes. They had headshots. They were, you know, um, mu- uh, movie majors, like acting, things like that, you know. Um film editing majors, um, that sort of stuff. There were uh, a small handful of people who were, I would say, Star Wars fans, diehard Star Wars fans, but a lot of the people that I spent time with in line were people who were there to be in a movie, there to be the actor rather than, uh, you know, more of a Star Wars fan, which I thought was interesting. But, um, you know, I, I was with somebody who came in from... Minnesota took a bus and, you know, she didn't even want people to know she was there. She didn't want her professors to know. I don't know why that was, but I think she was more of one of those film people, you know? Um, and I think, I think a lot of people were like that actually. Yeah. So more of a professional vibe. Uh, were there people showing up in costume or waving around plastic lightsabers, anything like that? I saw one person in, in costume, and it was it was a stormtrooper, and I don't think that he was even auditioning. I think he was just sort of walking the lines, just taking pictures with people, things like that. Um, didn't see any lightsabers, didn't see any Jedi robes, but uh, from what I read, there was something that was in the newspaper saying that they didn't want people to be dressed up. So, um, you know, I think I think people took that seriously, and... And the people that were there to audition were were there, uh, you know, following that rule. And uh, like I said, it was just the one stormtrooper walking the line. So, so Eric, we know you're a huge Star Wars fan, and we know. Oh what, yeah, we know what your attraction was to this event. But do you have any acting experience? Um, I wouldn't say experience. I mean. I've done things in front of a camera, um, but as far as acting goes, I've never done anything that was on stage 
um, except for a few things back in the day, back in, you know, grade school or, or things like that. But um, I've never been any, in any movies or anything like that. But, you know, my my whole reason for going there was to be in Star Wars, since that's, that's my passion. Star Wars is what, is what, you know, I eat, sleep, breathe Star Wars. And so that's why I went. Um, but they mentioned something in the article um, about the audition saying that people didn't need any acting experience. So I felt like that was a, a, a perfect thing for me since I didn't have any. Absolutely. And I mean, you're out there, you're cosplaying. So you do assume a character's role and, and you're used to that sort of that process of getting into a character. And also you're a good looking guy. You're in great shape. So w- what the heck? Why not give it a shot? So you finally make it in there. What was that like? What happened when you finally got in to see the casting directors for Star Wars Episode Seven? Well, first of all, let me tell you, it was freezing outside. So, um, I, we, like I said, we started waiting in line about 1230. By the time we actually got inside, it was about 515. Um, so we were out in the cold for a long time. My cousin had a hand warmer with him, and, you know, it was, it was just freezing. Luckily, it wasn't raining, but we were walking around through the city, and there were tunnels and alleys and things where the wind could blow through. We were just getting pelted with um, cold weather. Um, so by the time we got inside, um, you know, people were taking their coats off and making sure their hair looked okay and and putting makeup on, all the women and things like that. And some girl behind me was brushing her hair, and they had little mirrors, and people were just trying to look as good as they could for the casting director. Um, once they sort of filled the main part of Park West, um, Mary Ellen, the casting director, sort of made an announcement about um, thanking everybody for coming and, you know, this is for Star Wars, not that people didn't know that, um, and, you know, just things like that. And uh, basically, it was a single file line that zigzagged a few times, and then it went down to the main part of the stage. And that's where the casting director was and a few of her helpers were. And essentially what they would do is the line moves pretty fast, but you shook hands with the casting director. Um, and I think what happened was if she liked you, she would send you to one of her little helpers with a clipboard. And um, she would then send you back to a secret room which is what they called it, the secret room. Um, and Well, if everybody called it that, even, it wasn't much of a secret. Yeah, no, I know. I, I don't really know what they did back there. I mean, when they, they told you you could submit a video uh, online, things like that, and, and with that, there was a script. So I'm assuming some people were back there reading scripts, but I don't really know. Some people might have just been getting additional information about where to send headshots or things like that. I, I honestly don't really know. But the majority of the people that were in there that went down to see casting director shook her hands, exchanged names, um, pleasantries, sort of like a meet-and-greet type thing, and then they were on their way. So um, nothing really came, came from that. It was just... Um, Hi, how are you? My name's Eric. Um, nice to meet you. And that was it. 
No, so, no secret room. No secret room for me, unfortunately. But uh, I'm hoping maybe at some point I can sort of weasel my way in somewhere. But <laughs> well, you never know. They did they take a photo of you at least? You know, I was thinking about that, and no, they didn't. Um, they they actually didn't have anybody taking any pictures. Um, a lot of people brought their own headshots, although the casting director at the beginning said that it wasn't necessary, neither was a resume, um, in order to be accepted or, or sent to the secret room. Um, but no, they didn't take any photos. They didn't do anything like that. Um, I didn't have to write my name down on a sheet of paper. I didn't have to fill anything out. They didn't ask me how old I was, what my name was, anything like that. My assumption was that this line was based purely off of looks to match their image of a specific character. Did you have the blue paint on your chest? Could you have just <laughs> ripped off your shirt and said, check it out? <laughs> you know, I should have done that now that you mention it. I should have just sort of had that going on underneath my shirt. Um, <laughs> you need just, an agent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. But well, at least we, you can say, you can tell your kids someday, Eric, that you auditioned for a Star Wars movie. And that's the thing. Star Wars is not just a, a, a movie. It's a phenomenon. I mean, this has been going on since 1977. And 50 years down the road, you know, when I'm laying on my deathbed, I can say, yes, I was there at the Star Wars Episode Seven audition in Chicago, Illinois. And, you know, knowing that this was coming up, if I didn't go to this, I would have been kicking myself for it, you know? Because you never um, know. You never know. Yeah. You never know. There's, there's not a whole lot of opportunities that come your way like this. So it's definitely something that I would do again. And, you know, even though we were waiting outside in the cold from 1230 to 515 and all we got was essentially a handshake, it was still it was still worth it in my mind. I mean, you meet friends out, outside waiting in line for that amount of time, and you talk to a whole bunch of other Star Wars fans and things like that, and, you know, it's just an experience that you're not going to forget. So. That's awesome, Eric. And hey, before we got you on the line, speaking of experiences, uh, I was talking about how you are one of Steve Sansweet's prime volunteers who work on Rancho Obi-Wan. You've actually gone out there and done some extensive work with his magazine collection and everything else going on there at the museum. Were you out there for the big Guinness Book world record fundraiser that happened just a couple weeks ago? Indeed I was, yep. So how about a report from that? What was that like? Uh, Tell us about the celebrities that were there and tell us what happened. Yeah, so I was a I was a volunteer and and uh, for the party, and Rancho Obi Wan is one of my favorite places to go to. And I, I, if they have an event there, I will never miss it. I'll take off work, you know, whatever it takes. I will be out there to help out Rancho Obi Wan. Um, so what happened at the party was people people ended up um, coming in probably around three or four in the afternoon, which is when the party started. And each of the volunteers had sort of a shift that they would take and um, for a different area of Steve's museum. I personally was out in the expansion, which is sort of where the art stuff is, things like that, Um, sort of the main mingling room. And um, they had a bounty hunt where all the guests 
could look for cards throughout the museum and try to collect all these cards. Um, they had what was called a balloon pop, where people could donate a certain amount of money and then take a Star Wars dart and pop a balloon that was taped onto um, the wall. And inside the balloon was a sheet of paper with a prize on it, and you got the corresponding prize. Um, there was a live auction. There was a silent auction. Um, I mean, just anything that you can think of um, to make this party amazing. There was a raffle. They had a caterer there. Um, Michonne, who plays Aura Singh from episode one, was there with her husband. Um, Catherine Tabor was there. Um, uh, James Arnold Taylor did a part of his um, his uh, voice acting things up on stage. Tom Kane was there. Um, we had Denise Vasquez there. Um, with her husband doing some live music, um, you know, I mean, it was, it was just a one of a kind experience that, uh, you know, that, that again, it's just something that you're never going to forget. Um, it was, it was something that was an honor for me to be a part of and to celebrate it with Steve as, as the one and only person who has the largest collection of Star Wars memorabilia in the world. And, you know, for somebody who goes out there and helps Steve, put things up in his museum and work on some books with him and something like that. It's just amazing to see everything finally come together, him to be recognized for that and uh, to have him have the Guinness Book of World Records. is just something that I'm really happy for him for. And uh, I, I, you know, I'm frankly a little jealous, but uh, you know, <laughs> we all are jealous of Steve Sansweet. Yeah, I know. But uh you know, that, that's something that anytime they have an event out there, I wouldn't miss it. And I'm always going to be there to help volunteer for Rancher Obi-Wan, whether it be at celebrations or out at events that they have um, in California there. So it's just it's just a place that uh, I feel at home at. You know, it's just one of those places that makes you happy inside. So it's just a place you can walk around with your shirt off and you got the yeah, you know. uh, blue paint all over you and you know, just walk around there topless and feel like a topless Star Wars fan. <laughs> yeah, you know, one of the first times that I ended up talking to Steve Sansweet was actually on stage while he was giving a panel. The 501st and Rebel Legion were lined up behind Steve as he was talking and he ended up pointing me out specifically, calling me the chili Anakin, because it was March and I had my shirt off, and I was the only one on stage that was pretty much half naked there. So <laughs> from then on, I sort of stood out to Steve and, and uh, you know, chili at that point Anakin. we became friends. So. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. Well, hey, great report from the uh, audition for Episode 7. Great report from Rancho Obi-Wan. And uh, definitely keep in touch, Eric. Uh, let us know if you are uh, going to be out and about hitting some other Star Wars events in the future, uh, events that maybe uh, most fans don't have access to. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you certainly are a great Star Wars fan. How can uh, our listeners get in touch with you? Um, well, my name's Eric Pfeiffer. If you'd like to get a hold of me, I have a Facebook page. Um, I'm friends with Jimmy on Facebook, so if you're friends with Jimmy Mac on Facebook, you can find me through there or just search me. Um, that'd probably be the best way to get a hold of me. I also have an email, which is uh, the TD King. I'll spell that for you. It's 
T H E T D K I N G at Comcast.net. I used to play football, and that's like my third grade email address, but I still use it. <laughs> um, so that would probably be a good way to get a hold of me. I'm also on the uh, 501st, so if you search me on the 501st uh, forums, you can find ways to private message me or things like that as well. So Cool, man. Too bad you didn't make it into that private room, the uh, secret room, but uh, you never know. They, they were mentioning things about... Um, future opportunities like this that may come up here in the next few weeks. So maybe there'll be some other opportunity for you to weasel your way into a star Wars film. Well, I hope so. And, uh, you know, like they said, for people who don't have the opportunity to go to a a location and, and do something like this audition in person, they are accepting videos. So, I don't know if your listeners are, you know, good at taking videos of themselves, but if you are, then you can always submit a video to them and and, uh, see if that works out for you. There you go. Eric Pfeiffer, thanks so much for the report, and we'll see you around uh, Star Wars events in Chicago and beyond. Thank you guys so much for having me. All All right, man. Take care. All right, there you go. Straight from Chili Anakin's mouth, what it was like to be in Chicago for the big auditions. And the more I hear about it, Jim, the more I can't believe you weren't there. Well, you know, uh, I... What kind of a Star Wars fan are you, man? Listen, Eric is uh, he's a young guy. Like I say, he's a good-looking guy. He's in killer shape. He's a, he's a, a, a personal trainer. He walks around conventions with his shirt off. Listen, folks. So do I. <laughs> That's only when you're wearing your Ewok costume. <laughs> If you ever see a topless Ewok, you know it's swank. Yeah, I think Anthony Daniels uh, said that I resembled an Ewok to him actually one time. But, but Eric, I mean, Eric fits the mold. So it was like when when I heard he was going to the auditions, I said, "Well, of course you are." You know, you I could see this kid being in a Star Wars film. Me on the other side of the coin, it would be uh, you know very much a long shot that I would even make it as far as Eric did in the process, you know, at least he got to go there, have a brief moment of FaceTime, a handshake. No, 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 no. See, I could see you in a, in a, in a, in a cantina bar. I could see you in a dark corner, enjoying an adult beverage, talking I to me. I the new Bo Sheck. You, you should see you, my sideburns. You, <laughs> you could be the I new Bo Sheck. You know, they'd say, no, no, no. We're You'd be Bo Mac. They, they say, no, we're only looking for, uh, for people in their young 20s for this role. I said, yeah, but this is Star Wars. I look like I'm in my young 20s if this was 1975. (laughs) Rebel Force Radio. All right, Barbara Streisand, Princess Leia screen test. Okay, whenever you're ready, Barbara. This is our most desperate hour. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Barbara, you don't want to take that way down. Smaller? Yeah. I can do that. Okay, whenever you're ready. This is our most desperate hour. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Okay, thanks. I didn't get the part, did I? The galaxy is listening. Oh, so do you think they'll be uh, shooting in uh, Tunisia for these new Star Wars films by chance? Or will will they have a virtual Tatooine? I would appreciate the legitimacy 
of the film crew returning to Tunisia? It's sacred no ground. Question. No question about it. When, when they landed that, that queen ship on Tatooine in episode one and Qui-Gon and Anakin, Padme and Jar Jar started walking toward Mos Espa, I felt like, I'm like, this is Star Wars. This is Star Wars right here. We're back to Tatooine. And it's because they went to Tunisia to shoot that stuff. And that's good stuff. I've heard rumors, maybe you've heard this too, Jason, about New Mexico being mm. a potential shooting location. Going to the home of Walter White from Breaking Bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who knows what the Episode 7 crew is cooking up well, I shouldn't say that if I'm talking about Breaking Bad. Um, who knows where they're going to be shooting? But if they're going to shoot anything on the planet Tatooine, they need to return to Tunisia. And they need to return fast. According to a story on the CNN, it could be that the set that still remains of Mos Espa um, very well may be under sand. I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets everywhere. Did you speed that up? Did you pitch that up? Oh, I didn't. Oh, my God. I, I haven't heard that in a while. I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets everywhere. <laughs> I swear to God, it sounds like you pitched it up. That is one of the most maligned piece of dialogue from uh, the Star Wars prequels. Um, no, it it doesn't need any help from me. Wow! To uh, you know, that is a very awkward moment. Um, it, it really is. It really. But, you is. know, I mean, Anakin's an awkward kind of guy. I mean, if film fans just have to have to accept that Anakin Skywalker was an awkward teenager. Of course he became Darth Vader. I mean, any teenager out there listening to the show, any teenager that ever existed, you get into that dark place sometimes where you actually do become Anakin Skywalker. You do become Darth Vader. It made perfect sense for the most evil dude in the galaxy to be a pissed off teenager. Indeed. <laughs> um, so... The story claims that what is uh, what is now very visible as uh, the, the remaining um, set pieces for uh, the location shoot for the Star Wars films, and in particular, this is uh, Anakin's hometown of Mos Espa. It was the the government. I think it's Tazur. Tazur. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the city. Well, it, yeah, it, this it, is just actually outside the city itself, and um, yeah, but the and, government is the, of Tazur is the one who uh, made sure that the all of it was was kept up. They didn't they didn't destroy it afterwards, and 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 wisely because it's become a obviously a huge tourist attraction, and has done a lot for uh, the region. Um. But the um, the scientists are saying that there have been um, a number of sand dunes uh, moving, which is already starting to cover the buildings, Jim. They're, they're saying it's four centimeters a day. 
and it won't be long before the whole town is buried beneath the sand. And then sooner or later, those sand dunes will blow across the sets, and what they leave behind is anyone's guess. Um, They could be permanently buried. They could be totally destroyed. And, you know, what was left behind? We're talking things like full-on moisture evaporators and slave dwellings. You know, this is... uh, All right, I got a question, because I'm not real um, knowledgeable when it comes to Star Wars archaeology. So, the Lars Homestead and um, Mos Espa and Mos Eisley, that's all in the same area, right? No, not necessarily. Are they, or is it scattered about? The Lars Homestead is in a very remote place. A very remote place. While the sets for Mos Espa were built closer to civilization, specifically this, this town of Tozur. The city of Tozur. We're not even talking about the the episode four locations. We're talking no, no, about the no. prequel location. No, 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 no. This is specifically Moss Espa. I see. The streets of Moss Espa. And that is, like you said, Jason, it's become a huge tourist attraction. And uh, I'm sure Chris Mocked was out there. Hey, we're going to go out to the city of Moss Espa <laughs> after the auditions. No. Uh, can't, can't make that trip either. I would love to go out there someday, though. And like you were saying earlier in the show, Jason, go out there to actually just do a podcast from Tatooine. Why not? Why not? You know, I mean, there, we, sh- we should get out there someday. We really should. It's a long uh, flight from what I hear. But anyway, we have a clip from this uh, special report that they did on uh, CNN about the fate of Mos Espa. I'm curious to her, what kind of impact did a big movie studio coming into town and putting up this set have on the local community? Locusts brought activities to the region and beneficial economic activities. In addition, almost all residents of the region were employed. More than 1,500 background actors, cars, travel agencies, from 40 to 50 vehicles were moving back and forth. So what happened then after the big movie studio left and all the intention and the glamour went with it? Ever since they finished the part of the movie shot in 2003, sand dunes have surrounded the film set from every side. They should not have allowed this to happen. Otherwise, the sand dunes will bury the entire set. Work-related activities were never back to the level witnessed when the movie was being filmed. We hope George Lucas will be back here. For more than a decade, this set has withstood the elements, but experts predict it won't last for much longer. As Tahar said, small sand dunes are already engulfing the faux dwellings, with winds pushing much larger dunes closer. Like any other oasis in the desert, this one too will soon disappear. Hmm. Well, there you go. Moss Espa, potentially covered forever. I could see an excavation or maybe maybe some sort of uh, movement to save it. I don't know how the, the guy's saying, why didn't people do more to protect it from sand dunes? How do you do that? You build a big wall or something? <laughs> a dome? Yeah. I don't know. Hey, the um, people of Tatooine, of the real Moss Espa, they lived with the sandstorms, you know? They all went inside. That's what you do. That's what you do, right? But but the difference is is that there is no inside to a lot of these buildings. It's just 
you know, facades propped up with with wood planks. Uh, yeah, I mean that's the other that's set. the other side of this. It, exactly, it's a film set. We're not talking about. I, I don't think it was anywhere near the uh, the level of uh, sophistication that uh, say um, the Shire was when uh, Peter Jackson went and populated parts of uh, New Zealand to to create the Shire. There's a lot of those were uh, much more detailed and um, you know far more substantial. So uh, true. And I think that they were built to be permanent features. I don't think that they were just simply film sets. I think that the you know Peter Jackson and his crew realized that this is something that they can actually build and make you know make it last and it's come in handy now that he's gone back to revisit the 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 lord of the rings universe with the hobbit right he can use those sets now so it's actually probably paid off you know they they've probably broken even on the whole thing probably i don't you know maybe that maybe amusement park is coming next there in the in the shire but uh at any rate so if you're planning a, a little trip to tunisia in particular just outside the city of Tuzur, CMOS Espa, do it soon. Four centimeters a day. I don't know. I'm American. I don't even know what four centimeters is. But it sounds like a lot <laughs> And you add it up per day. All right, Wait, before we move forward, let's hear from Anakin one more time. Oh. I knew you were going to do that. I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating. And it gets everywhere. Here, here. Yeah. You've gone through puberty yet, I think, or... Sure. Uh, Before we go too much further, I do want to take a moment and thank our good friends, our sponsors, this week at DorksideToys.com. You can follow them on Twitter at DorksideToys. Check this out. I just got a big box from Dorkside Toys. I pre-ordered the Wave 3 of the Black Series, the 3 and 3 quarter inch, but I received Wave 2 as well as uh, several other figures, and including a non-Star Wars. I got the uh, the 1960s Catwoman figure. Yeah, pretty cool. But uh, most of it was Star Wars stuff, filling some holes in my collection. And uh, I got to tell you, packed with major TLC. Mm-hmm. Major TLC. A lot of the cards were unpunched. So, uh, And I am a toy-on-card collector. Uh, so I was really glad to see that uh, everything came in wonderful shape. I expected nothing less, but it's nice to get that validation. Dorkside Toys, uh, check them out at dorksidetoys.com. Um, it's all about Star Wars this month. That Wave 3, uh, look, Darth Plagueis, need I say more? Wave 3 comes with Darth Plagueis. Um, make sure you get that pre-ordered. Wave 2, uh, also selling very quickly, so make sure you get that. You're going to get your Mara Jade. And, Jim, you pointed out that there's a great, custom Mara Jade that's that's out there that involves uh, one of the uh, the Marvel figures, right? Yeah, yakface.com discovered that if you swap out the Black Series Mara Jade head with the Marvel Black Widow, it was like a specific Toys R Us exclusive. You can check it out at uh, yakface.com. They have all the instructions on how to make this head swap possible. And a couple of options, too. Or you can just order the figure and keep it with her spaghetti hair, which I well, call that's what it, I'm that's doing. Yeah. The, the spaghetti hair Mara Jade. Right. Um, you know, they still have yet to really create that definitive version of Mara Jade. And I think the clock is ticking on that character. If uh, 
if uh, episode seven has anything to say about that, I really <laughs> don't think we're going to be seeing or hearing much from Mara Jade much longer. Probably. Not. Or do you say Mara Jade? I say Mara. Mara. I guess I should say that. Mara. I get all Chicago with the Mara Jade over here <laughs> and the uh, Italian beefs over there. Uh, these, they also have the, uh, this is cool, the, the, that Imperial Scanning Crew set, um, the Ewok Catapult, and, um, you know, the I six- got it. I got the Ewok Catapult. Hey, by the way, speaking of Wave 2 of the 6-inch, have you seen those in the wild? I, I saw a Slave Leia, 6-inch Slave Leia. Have you seen any of these? I have not, no. I not- saw a 6-inch Slave Leia, 6-inch uh, Greedo. Um, those were the two that I saw. Eh, pretty, pretty, actually, pretty pretty good. You know, I got to be honest with you. Since I started becoming a regular customer of DorksideToys.com, I'm not making those toy runs in the middle of the day to Toys R Us and Walmart and Target and things like that. I don't see anything in the wild anymore. I just I pre-order it from these guys, DorksideToys.com, and it takes away all the hassle, all the worry. Yeah, sure, if I'm making that random trip to a Target, of course I'm going to pop down the po- toy aisle. But more often than not, I'm disappointed. So right. it, it just takes the sting away knowing that I've already pre-ordered it from Dorkside Toys and it's going to be showing up at my doorstep when it is actually released. Yeah, so, and, and you get the whole wave. You get it all done. And then you can spend all that time that you'd be driving around actually enjoying your figures. Yeah, not wasting money on gas. That's right. So uh, best way to shop Dorkside Toys is to go to shotglassdigital.com and click on that toy, that Dorkside Toys banner and uh, find your way uh, to their storefront that way. And uh, we'll get the credit and you'll get the toys and everything will just work out great. So big thanks to dorksidetoys.com for their support of Rebel Force Radio. Another way that you can support Rebel Force Radio is by buying a T-shirt. We're on the third round of uh, of T-shirts. Uh, they are now back in stock at ShotGlassDigital.com, including a new size, Jim. Yeah, we've added 3XL because you demanded it. <laughs> Tell you what, you guys are killing me with the 2XLs. That's right. I, we, can, I cannot keep those in stock. We have they, a big audience, uh, Rebel Force Radio. I told you, we had a huge audience. Yeah. Indeed. But um but you know what we got the 3XLs and these shirts look phenomenal no matter what size you get. Right now they're all in stock. I cannot guarantee that they'll be all in stock in all sizes for much longer. I'm telling you those 2XLs do go fast. I'm getting more. But for now we have small, medium, large, extra large, 2XL and 3XL. So show your support for Rebel Force Radio. Wear this amazing looking shirt. Original artwork by Star Wars concept artist Paul Bateman. You know him from Star Wars Influences and our whole history of Star Wars podcasting. Paul has been with us along the way, and he created what is becoming a Star Wars icon. The Rebel Force Radio logo. I cannot wait to see it at Star Wars events and conventions in the future. And judging by the way they're flying out the door, I'm going to be seeing it a lot. And that excites me very much. So so don't wait. Get yours now and be prepared for the return of Star Wars to the theaters in 2015 with your Rebel Force Radio t-shirt. Say it loud. Say it proud. You're a Star Wars fan, and you listen to Rebel Force Radio. And we're going to give one away. As a matter of fact, with our big Thanksgiving special next week, we will be giving away one Rebel Force Radio t-shirt. And uh, there are three ways that you can win between now and next week. You can first 
like us on Facebook. That's at uh, facebook.com slash Rebel Force Radio. You can choose to follow us on Twitter. That's at Rebel Force Radio. Or leave us a review on iTunes. Only one rule. Make it good. And we'll choose well, you know what? We'll accept anyone. We'll accept anyone. Even you, bad ones? Any kind of review, you are eligible to win a Rebel Force Radio t-shirt. All right. Well, winner chosen at random next week on our big Thanksgiving special. Unfortunately, U.S. residents only for this promotion. Yeah, just for this one. Um, but there are so many ways for you guys in the States to enter to win. You don't have to do all three, but like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, or leave us a review at iTunes. And you know what? I'll throw a fourth one into the mix. If you contribute to the show and you leave us a voicemail for our special Thanksgiving show, then you'll also be eligible. And uh, we've got a programming update here for uh, uh, those of you who have been checking out some of our other podcasts available at shotglassdigital.com we have a brand new star wars show that's been added to the family fangirls going rogue yeah yes, this is yes. something that really i'm really excited about this because uh you know jason you and me we we present star wars the way we grew up with it unfiltered unbiased dudes and i thought you know what it was it really made a lot of sense to me when we had ashley on and it was her big birthday bash, and she made us honorary fangirls. Boy, I took that to heart. And I said, you know what? Ashley's right. We need to represent here on Rebel Force Radio. We need to find two fangirls that we know are passionate about Star Wars and love the galaxy far, far away as much as we do and as much as our audience does. So we, we found Trisha Barr. You know her from Fangirl Blog. Luke Skywalker must die. We've had Trisha on the show for a long time now. She's contributed to Clone Wars Declassified and all kind of discussion points here on the show over the years. So we're happy to have her along. And then Teresa Delgado from Jedi News. She's another fangirl out there firing up the flame of Star Wars from the female perspective. So we decided to get them together and we said, hey, Put together a show for us. We'll put it out on the Rebel Force Radio feed. And they came to us with Fangirls Going Rogue. And what an amazing first episode. Special guest, Catherine Tabor from Star Wars The Clone Wars. Padme Amidala herself. She's checking in. And we know Catherine. And we know how amazing she is. And she does not let you down with this first episode of Fangirls Going Rogue. So, it's a fandom first. We're happy to bring it to you. Finally, a Star Wars podcast hosted by only fangirls, but not just for fangirls, for all Star Wars fans. Check it out on the Rebel Force Radio feed. Fangirls going rogue, coming every month to Rebel Force Radio. This is Billy D. Williams, Lando Calrissian. It's time for the quote of the week. Hello, what have we here? It's just me, Billy D. <laughs> And don't mess this up, man. Be smooth. Lando's right. Indeed. Sorry, baby. It's just business. Why, you slimy, double-crossing, no-good swindler. Works every time. And Lando Calrissian is forever. <laughs> Maybe they could protect the set of Moss Espa by just putting Billy D out there. Yeah, who He's so cool, out. yeah. <laughs> it's no sand dunes going to cover up Billy D and uh, that coolness. All of a sudden... 
on the sand dunes appears <laughs> the same iceberg that took down the Titanic. <laughs> courtesy of Billy D. Billy D. All right. What do you got for us this week, Jim? All right. Our old friend, Star Wars artist, Kevin Lyle. Kevin's a great guy. You know him from Star Wars Celebration and the awesome Star Wars trivia contest he holds there regularly. And I'm sure he'll be out there at the next one in Anaheim in 2015. Kevin Lyle. Kevin wrote to us about a convention he was at last week, the Rhode Island Comic Con. And Billy D was there, and he was doing his famous now. I'm going to say it is famous. When Billy D rolls into town, you want to go to that Q&A. That he always does. And now they're moderated by his manager. And uh, they sit up there and they do uh, back and forth and they take audience questions. And you never know what Billy D is going to say. Here's something interesting that Kevin caught that happened at the Rhode Island Comic Con last week. Billy said he had a new project that he was working on. He was going to go and record in the following week. The project, Billy D said very clearly on mic was called rebels rebels and then his manager says like whoops and then <laughs> kevin lyle you know he's probably sitting front row center for this you know he's probably been waiting for hours to get in there he's the first guy in line he's got the, <laughs> he's got the lawn chair out there with a the cooler and you know, his, his, his 12-inch Lando Calrissian action figure from Gentle Giant. He's waiting for those doors to open, so he busts in there, and he's sitting front row center. And he yells, did you just say Rebels? And then Billy D's manager is like, no, 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 no. So Kevin sent us an audience recording of this Q&A. And I got to admit, it's hard to hear what Billy D is saying. Because, like I said, it's just a microphone out in the audience. But just to back up this whole story I just told you, that Billy D. Williams might have let it slip at Rhode Island Comic Con last week, that he is doing voice work on a project called Rebels. I think all of the Star Wars fans listening to the show know that there's only one project out there called Rebels that would be of any concern to us or Billy D. Williams. So here's the clip. Listen very closely, and you are going to hear Billy D. It starts with Billy D. just saying, next week I'm doing Rebels. And then you'll hear the manager sort of tap dance over what Billy D. just said. Next week, uh, Monday, What's the name of it? Wow, is that hard to hear? Yeah. So he, um, the manager says you're not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> yes. And Billy is like, yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, whoops. Was that a, is that a microphone? <laughs> Sometimes you wonder where Billy D's head is during this. Yeah. But so Lyle is there and he goes, hey, just say Rebels. And uh, the manager says, no. And that's the end of the recording right there. But he clearly said it. And his manager clearly said, well, you're not supposed to talk about that. Whoops. Whoops. So, so could we be potentially hearing Billy D. Williams do a voice in Star Wars Rebels? We know they're obviously 
at that point in the production process. The show was supposed to debut this upcoming summer. We're supposed to be seeing the first glimpses of Rebels with the hour-long special on Disney Channel. And then the season proper will be starting on Disney XD in fall 2014. So it makes, you know, knowing what we knew about the Clone Wars production process, those voice actors were in there a solid year before we ever saw those episodes on TV. So we are less than a year away from the, the series itself kicking off on Disney XD in the fall. So you have to assume that there's a lot of voice work being done right now. A lot of voice work. And is Billy D. Williams out there? Is he in L.A. recording a voice for Star Wars Rebels? I don't know. I mean, what would he? Would he is Lando going to be in it? And can Billy D. play a young Lando? I mean, listen to Billy D nowadays. He, yeah, he's he's Billy D. We know that, but does he really sound like Lando Calrissian, circa nineteen eighty, Empire Strikes Back? Who no. cares? Who cares? As long as it's Billy D playing Lando, uh, you know, hey, they can do all kinds of stuff in the recording studio. They can make him sound a little bit younger. If they can make Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen look young in that X Men movie, they can do anything. I guess so. I don't mean to nitpick or poo-poo on anything because you know we do do a this this weekly segment called billy d quote of the week so any opportunity for the man to find work i'm i'm all in favor for because i need the material we need the material and then when it's star wars it's just it's just even better even better so uh billy d you never know what he's going to say at these convention appearances so please if you're at a convention you know billy d is going to be there Get that recorder out, pull out that iPhone, pull out that droid, hit the record button because uh, you might capture gold. And, of course, send it to us at uh, show at rebelforceradio.com. Subject line, Billy D. Big thanks to uh, our sponsor this week, DorksideToys.com. Once again, access their storefront by going to ShotGlassDigital.com and click on that Dorkside Toys banner and shop to your little heart's content with the knowledge to know that everything's going to show up in shipshape condition, as it did for me. And as Jimmy pointed out, no more running around trying in vain to find the latest toys. You can find them there at dorksidetoys.com. Pre-order them, order them, and spend that time and that extra money playing with your figures. Check them out, dorksidetoys.com. If you'd like to email us, you can do so. Show at rebelforceradio.com. Leave us a voicemail for our big feedback show next week, our big Thanksgiving tradition, at 708-320-1737. That's 708-320-1RFR. Follow us on Twitter, at Rebel Force Radio. Jimmy Mac's on there, at Jimmy Mac Radio. I'm on there, at Jason Swank. And our Facebook page, another way to enter and win that Rebel Force Radio t-shirt. In addition to following us on Twitter, you can also like us on Facebook. 
We got breaking news on there, links to stories that you probably won't find anywhere else. And uh, Jimmy Mack is known to break a story here and there on our Facebook page. And, of course, great conversation with people like you, our loyal Rebel Force Radio listeners. Facebook.com slash Rebel Force Radio. iTunes can subscribe and review Rebel Force Radio and other podcasts found on the Shot Glass Digital Network. Only one rule about those reviews. Make them good. And, of course, the official website, rebelforceradio.com. Lots and lots of great things happening at Shot Glass Digital. All kinds of new programming, including... The latest in our family of Star Wars shows, Fangirls Going Rogue. Check them out. Also, Radio 1138 for the UK point of view. Star Wars Influences with Jimmy Mack and Paul Bateman. And you can check out our archives of our Star Wars Declassified show. For you Bond fans, we've got Bondcast Thunder Paul Part 2 coming soon. We've got some great album art by the way for that one fantastic Snyder Marks Radio those are up there also as well as ADH Divas and Blackhawk Talk it's some new shows debuting including Fictional Frontiers Techno Retro Dads Geek Out Loud Tron Decoding the Grid Backstage with Ron Onesti and more stuff happening all the time make sure you're following Shot Glass Digital on Facebook at facebook.com slash Shot Glass Digital and as a reminder, Rebel Force Radio is available every Saturday night at 7 p.m. streaming on srsounds.com. Sources Radio. Our good friend Al John Go over there. Once again, don't forget about your Rebel Force Radio t shirt. They're available at shotglassdigital.com. Wait, everything's in stock as of right now, all sizes in stock including the new 3XL. I'm using it as a bed sheet. <laughs> I'm a wee one. All right, we'll see you guys next time. Love you all so much. For Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember... The Force will be with you, always. I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets everywhere.